Hi, welcome to the Ghostman Radio Station and today I'm talking to Dave Shelton. Award winning yeah, Dave Sheldon. Award winning film television writer, cartoonist, author, magician, voice actor, book you name it, he's done it, probably. Wait, wait, it's musician, not magician. But musician, yeah, I sorry. Wait, it could be a magic it could be magic music. Well, some people say I make them disappear, so it could be anything. <laughs> well, you, you've obviously, and also you've done a lot about paranormal, haven't you, as well, uh, Dave? Can you t- oh, yes, I'm very active in the paranormal world. Can you tell me a little bit about that first, and then we'll talk a little bit about your books? Okay, sure. Uh, well, ever since I was little, I always kind of had feelings about the paranormal. I was always getting signs, and then when I... I uh, grew up and I started getting into my field, I experienced a lot of ghosts and I mean I've always been in the horror but I started experiencing more things and one time I was doing, it, it kind of culminated when I was doing a signing down at San Diego Comic Con in San Diego, California and a psychic came up to me out of nowhere and he said I just gotta tell you I just got a message from someone that you know and I said says it's your guardian angel and I said who's my guardian angel and, and he said it was your maternal grandmother oh, wow. and I said oh my gosh I, I kind of felt something I didn't know it was her I thought maybe it was my mother but um, it, it kind of confirmed a lot of the things because once I was in I believe it was Kansas where the uh, we went to um, an ex fiance of mine and I went to go visit her family. It was either Missouri or Kansas um, where the Precious Moments Chapel is, those little dolls with the teardrop eyes. And it was the middle of winter and I was in a rental car and we were on our way to their museum and we slid down this long road between the lake that ran from the main part of the compound to uh, like the island. And I thought we were going to slide off right into the water. Well, literally, we stopped right at the edges as someone pulled us. And I said, that's a miracle. There is no way. There was nothing to stop us. We were sliding straight in. So I knew there was something paranormal and protecting us. And I, you know, felt that way ever since. And I've, you know, encountered ghosts. I've gotten phone calls from um, dead friends. Um, I found a dead body whose spirit flew into my apartment like two days later and I found his dead body and he'd been eaten up and he was the son of a famous actor named Richard Long who some people may know from Manny and the Professor, some people may know him from Twilight Zone or from The House on Haunted Hill so anyway I was friends with his son in Los Angeles and he had smoked and he had drank and he kind of killed himself. He, he wound up dying in his bed. Well, anyway, I found his body and next thing I know is, as he said, the spirit's flying in and I told him, he looked lost, so I said, you know what, I, I think you can go now. I think you're at rest, you know, and then I think about 10 seconds later, he disappeared. I never saw him again. So there's been lots of 
Yeah, I've heard of Bob Fan, yeah. It seems that you've had a very in tuned with the paranormal. They seem to like to follow you. Oh, I, I believe it. We were actually, it's so funny because we were actually going to do a Ouija board session there at the cemetery on Halloween night. But because of the rain, uh, I didn't want to ruin it. I have a very special uh, board that's made of a special wood that came from, I'm trying to remember where it originally came from. but it was designed and sculpted by someone who's really into the paranormal, but uh, unfortunately we didn't get to do the session, so we had to take a, excuse the pun, rain check to do it another time. Well, that's a, that's a beauty. I mean, generally people see these paranormal shows on the telly, and they always think, they always think it's like, oh, you're going to see a ghost straight away, but it doesn't always work quite like that. Probably playing to the to, to the media, I would have thought. 
I would imagine Meat Floats was probably playing to the media a little bit. Sounds cool. And we're going to be, I'm working with kids and we're going to be doing videos. I created this thing called YouTube West Virginia and we started a channel and we're going to be doing all sorts of cool stuff about the history of West Virginia and shooting videos with these kids and going around the state. And we are definitely going to be doing a lot on paranormal because no one has really done a kid's version of a ghost hunter show. No, they haven't. No, no, it's always adults, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I would have thought kids would be more yeah, in tune with it. Right, and kids are more in tune than you know adults as far as certain things, and they're more open to things. And they're they're not gonna. I don't know how graphic I could get, you know, language wise here, but um, they're not into the bowl that a lot of the adults yeah, I, are. Yeah, yeah, you can they, you can say that word. That's okay. It's an English word, so you can get away with that one. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's true. Oh, and by the way, I love British culture. I mean, I'm sorry what's going on now in England, the way it's going on here, especially politically, but um, I grew up watching everything from Doctor Who to all of the British comedies. The Young Ones was one of my inspirations for my comedy writing. Oh, Young Ones is brilliant for its time. I, I like. I know Charl I know Charlotte Church pretty well. Oh yeah. Yeah, she was awesome. I met her when she came here to the states. I like the fact you do a lot of your own emanation for your comics and things like that. It's quite a yeah, skill. I, I work in I work in animation. Um, I, I consider myself more of a cartoonist.
whether it's my writing or my cartooning, my books, my radio shows. One of the things that was inspired by my paranormal is a show called Cemetery Go-Go, which is now syndicated around America. It's a strange title, that is. I like the title. It's a very strange title. There was an old radio host named Dr. Demento. You might be old enough to remember him. He was an American, and he ran all these syndicated shows of weird kind of novelty songs. He'd play Weird Al, or he'd play Barnes & Barnes, and even old British songs. His voice was so cool, he's kind of like, Hi, this is Dr. Demento, and you're listening to the Dr. Demento Show on this station. I love that. I was also inspired by an old TV show and film actor named William Bendix. He had a show called Life of Riley, which started as a radio show that went to television. One of his characters was the local mortician and grave digger. He had this weird sort of low voice, and he would tell these bad jokes. William Bendix would say something like, Oh, I'm having a really bad day. His nickname was Digger. So he'd go, I dig where you're coming from, but I dig everything. Literally. So I said, Oh, that is like the perfect voice. So I made a variation of that, and I created a character called the Groovy Grave Creeper. And so I kind of combined that with the elements of the cemetery and Dr. Demento, and Cemetery Go-Go just kind of hit. So I wrote the theme song as a musician, not a magician, and I laid down the song here in my home studio. And now it's become like kind of a really popular little jingle and opening song to the show. That's cool. I like that. It's nice when you've done that. You've you've gone out your way. It's been all in your head. You've created it. You've put all your love in it, and then you see it grow, and you think, "Oh, I did that." <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I use that about a lot, and I always am the hardest on myself because Hollywood not only you know for trying to break through over the years, and I've done a lot of really great things, but you know it wasn't always easy when you're first starting. But I was always someone who always thought outside the box and didn't really care how long it took. I mean, even with all of the rejections and failures, you know, a lot of people would give up. But I said, screw it. I'm going to be in this for life, and however long it takes, it's going to make me happier to just create my own things. And, you know, I've had a lot of learning experiences over the years. But it's just made me stronger. And uh, I have a book. I used to be with National Lampoon as well. And people can find out more about me on my website. There's my bio there. It's snuggybear.com, S-N-U-G-G-Y-B-E-A-R.com. It talks about all the projects that I'm working on, all the stuff that I've done before. And um, my book is called Brain Explosion, which is a collection of my work when I was at National Lampoon. I like I love the National Lampoon. I used to love the comics. Uh, it's brilliant. They were. Oh, I, I, it was one of my.
is someday going to work for that company. I don't know why I said that, but I said my dream job is to work there. And then when I moved to California from New Jersey and New York, I got a chance to work there. And I worked there for almost nine years as a writer and cartoonist and worked on um, ancillary projects with them. It was one of the coolest jobs I ever had. And I got to work with Jamie Kennedy there and dealt with people like Chris Farley and I was involved with Comic Relief. It, it was like an amazing combination of wishes and dreams. But, and I'm very politically incorrect, as a lot of my friends could tell you or you could tell from my work. But I never get a brain block and I never get writer's block. So I wanted to call the book Brain Explosion because that's what I feel I am. It's just one big exploding brain where I can think of things 24 hours a day and write them down. So sometimes I like look at my collection of work and go, oh my gosh, I've got a million things to draw from. I like the, was it Professor Creepy Scream Party? Is that correct? Yeah, Professor Creepy's Scream Party. That was a, another project that I created out of my love of horror and the paranormal and also inspired by an old Canadian series called The Hilarious House of Frankenstein, which Vincent Price hosted in the early 70s. And growing up in New Jersey, they used to play that on a local station. And it was so goofy. It was all the universal monsters like the Wolfman, and Dracula and Frankenstein, Igor, all as goofy characters in a lab. It was like Dracula, the Count, was trying to revive Frankenstein's monster who he called Brucie. He was inept, <laughs> so, he's, so he, he, was, he was thrown out of the monster society until he could get Brucie working. And Vincent Price, it was sketch comedy, and Vincent Price did the wraparounds, and he would do poetry, and he would do the opening and closing. <laughs> I mean, years before he did Thriller. And then this one actor named Billy Van would play all of, almost all of the characters. It was hilarious. That's why we call the hilarious house the Brighton side. Well, that inspired me down the years to want to do a comedy show of my own, but I love, oh, and there was a little midget in there, and I love little people. A lot of the projects that I've worked on, and some of the TV shows I've worked on and created, I did one for NBC pilot uh, that starred little people, and Professor Creepy was the same thing. He's a little person, sort of an imaginary recreation from a little girl who goes into a circus freak museum, and they hold a party. It's kind of like Alice in Wonderland, but in a variety party. <laughs> it's, like, um, it's really bizarre. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like Alice didn't go to Wonderland. She went to Professor Creepy's Scream Party and wound up there. And mm -hmm. it interacts, and there's musical guests. And we did the pilot. We won all these awards. And then I got it on the Horror Channel and the Monster Channel. And I'm working on, we got a deal with Retro TV Network, and now I'm working on funding to try to produce a full season of it, but that's also on on the website as well to see the pilot and more about that. 
I like the idea. I, I like to do a bit of horror, obviously myself. Uh, but I, I like to do like the old stories, and um, I do a lot of the old um, public domain comic stories. Is it from the, the American comics of the day? Oh yes, the, the golden age of comics. Uh, yeah, some I, of them are I, I, very good I, I stories. They they still hold up today. Some of them I've read quite a few of them. They, they do. to get the copy you did all the Existence of why do they have to follow everybody else? It's a very modern 
publisher in the Midwest, and their manner, they do a lot of celebrity books, and he loved it, and so he put it out. And it's been doing really well. It's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. And I'm turning that into a sketch comedy show, and a lot of my sketch comedy friends, like Tommy Davidson and Deborah Wilson from Mad TV, Tommy is from In Living Color, are going to be part of it. Um, ben Davidson, uh, Ben Morrison from Punk, so, and a lot of other comedians that I've worked with. Uh, and then there's Bad Boy and Sweet Slob, which is one of my favorite uh, more recent projects. That's a children's book based on my relationship with my last ex because she was she's a psychiatrist, but she's a slob and a border hoarder, as I call her, but she's really sweet, and she calls me a bag boy because I would, you know, you go to these parties, you go to conventions, they always give you bags, and I'm very into recycling, so they said, oh, this would be perfect for a story, and she used to get mad at me for having all these bags, and I would tell her, I said, well, you're such a freaking slob, it's like, you're gonna, you're gonna use my bag someday, and she goes, oh, you're just a bag boy, and I said, well, you might be a slob, but you're sweet, so I came, she said, why don't you write a story about it, and I did, and that's where Bag Boy and Sweet Slob came out, and it's been winning awards, it's available on Amazon, and it's getting great reviews, and we're already, the second book is already done, and hopefully that's gonna be out early next year yeah, I, I, I like the fact you're eclectic you're a bit like me I do a lot of eclectic stuff because I think it it gets your brain going I mean I like I've, I have written books I mean not sold many but I have written some I've got a story about my own life called Diary of an Ex Essex Weirdo <laughs> is that where you are in Essex I was Essex yeah years ago and I also helped write a, a, a draw a book for a person who's into occultism, and it's called Cartoon Occult Martial Arts. That was my first book I ever collaborated with. It's a very weird book. It's basically him going. Have they been out? Did you get them published? Well, he published it. Uh, I published my. Yeah, I've got most of my books are on Amazon. It's a mixture of like horror. I like like bit of comedy in it as well I'm like you I think humour has to be in horror because it works better you think no, it, it does I mean that's why Nightmare on Elm Street movies were so awesome because yeah. of the element if it's just pure straight horror then you know even um, the Conjuring movies had humour in it I think you, you have to but, I mean there's so many like what I call crap flicks instead of Netflix, there is so much bad writing and horror, even in elements of that. And it's not just that, but you can relate because there is nothing worse, and I pride myself in concentrating the nature and ending, whether it's my books or my scripts, because I have a lot of movie projects coming out, and TV, if you can't end it, well, if it's great up until like the last sequence or even the last scene that kills the whole vibe of the movie and a lot of people don't concentrate enough on that anymore no I've noticed that a lot of the movies I really watched a really good movie and thought oh this is really good and then that ending and thought why did they do that for 
Why did they go for the Hollywood ending? Why did they have to do that? It didn't have to. It wasn't necessary. It's lazy. It's lazy writing. I talked to a lot of writers, and you know, some that I'm not fans of, but I've met at conventions or speaking engagements. And well, one, they feel that they have to cater to a certain audience instead of writing from their heart, and that's what kills a lot of writing too. And then they say, oh well, you know, I. I kind of got bored, and it didn't matter. The producers didn't care. They just wanted to put something out. And I go, that's horrible. I would rather, because there's some people out here who will do 100 movies, but they're suck-ass movies. And they don't care because they're getting paid to do this. But it's dumbing down the audience, first of all. I mean, they're creating generations of people who have no brain cells. Well, I don't like all this new, um, you haven't got the brain to watch a t program and if you don't like it, or a film, you can just go, I don't like this film, so I don't, I don't carry on watching it anymore. I do agree with you. I, I watched the, uh, what was it, Ghostbusters, the female version? It was awful. Oh my god, I felt so sorry for him because the script was bad, the acting was bad. It should never be made. wrong with liking a film just because you like the film you know and sometimes the subject may be controversial something like clockwork orange for instance still controversial 
perhaps even now but I like it because it's in your face you know it doesn't hide anything literally especially when he was watching the propaganda films (laughs) yeah but that's quite it still runs quite true doesn't it yes and and that's fine if a movie is controversial as long as that was the intention of it is to create an emotion but also do it in a very proper way as opposed to just doing it to try to sell an audience on something that's why to me the best films and best filmmakers are ones that do it one for the love of the of the industry and of the process and two the fact that they're doing it true to form of what's in their heart and their mind not that they, they're trying to cater to somebody and that's what to me ruins a lot of stuff I mean I get I still get rejections and people are going like oh your new projects need to be this you need to have a, like a black writer involved or a black director or a woman or a gay or lesbian or transgender person or something and I said well the only time those characters will be involved in anything I do would be as if I'm lampooning it you know I'm not going to write a character based on race or gender well, no, you do what you want to do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I like the fact that you do a lot of voice work. Have you ever done any collaborations, or would you do a collaboration? Uh, a collaboration? Yeah, like, would you I mean, do... I, I, I've collaborated with other people as, as well, and um, a lot of the voiceovers I've done have been for the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, one of my best friends was Stephen First, who was Flounder in Animal House, he was in St. Elsewhere, Babylon 5, and he became a director. I directed him in my sitcom, and then he brought me in to do a lot of voiceovers and ADR and looping. I worked on a lot of shows with him. So there was definitely collaboration there. As far as collaborating on scripts, I worked with another really good friend who passed away, Erwin Keyes. You might know him from House of Thousand Corpses. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He played Weezy Joe in Intolerable Cruelty, was in Friday the 13th, The Warriors. Well, he and I wrote a dog film together, and then I got a guy named Tiny Lister signed up to act in it. He is the black actor from The Fifth Element, and he was also in the Friday movies. Oh, he turned out to be such a nasty person. He stole my script, brought it to... And he knew it was copyrighted and WGA, but he brought it to a producer at AFM. Then they stole it, made it with Mira Servino in it, and brought it to Lionsgate. They distributed it, and I found all of this out from my old manager. And so I approached the investor on it and then he and I were doing a lawsuit and then I approached Tiny Lister on it at a party and he threatened to kill me oh that's nice (laughs) he physically threatened to kill me right there at the party after I said hey you stole my script he said like who cares I said like get out of my face or I'm going to kill you Um, and then he got arrested then he got arrested for mortgage fraud and spent time he was strong arming investors and you know then he passed away a couple years ago of COVID or something but I I say it was more karma 
Yeah, do you do a lot of? Uh, um, I know you said you like uh, do your own stuff. Would you ever like consider someone British doing a little bit of a voiceover for you? Hint, hint. Uh, <laughs> if that answers that. Uh, oh, are, are you hinting at something that? Yes, just a bit, you know. Yeah, yes, please. I mean, don't don't know many British people that talk like that. They normally talk like a bit more like I do. But no, only Helen Moran when she's having sex. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's like terrible. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, well, I, I, I'm also inspired by like French and Saunders. I love their writing, have that thing. Um, oh no, I. Over people from all over the place. Um, so, I mean, right now I don't have any projects yet where I need to go and record, but I will probably next year because some of the stuff that I've been working on the pipeline with my new agent is going to start coming out next year. Well, if you do, I mean, anything to do, I don't care how small the part is. If it's going, all right, mate, how are you going? Yeah. <laughs> Or, or the Jack the Ripper bit, I could go, oh, look, it's Jack over there. What's he doing with that owl? Well, it, it's funny that you say about little cameos like that. There is a, uh, a new movie coming out called Slice, and it's a really low-budget horror spoof of Caddyshack, and my friend produced it. And one of my characters that I do in a podcast is called Bitchy the Clown. <laughs> and it's a character I created. It's a character I created a while back, and it got on a, a TV show called Battle Cam. And the creator was uh, Alfie David, who's this freak deviant who's worth like a billion dollars with his family. Uh, they invested in major companies. So uh, I said I'm going to take that character and make a podcast with him. And then I started writing songs for him and doing music. So, um, there's links to that too. It's called Bitching with Bitchy the Clown. And it's a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms. But uh, this movie um, plays two of Bitchy's songs in the soundtrack. And one is called Elementary in the Cemetery, and the other one is called The Visitor. And The Visitor is one of my favorite from him. And, and he's got a very Krusty the Clown type voice. So, uh, uh, like, he, he goes off to different things and he, like, doesn't care. So one of the lyrics is something like where he's with this girl and um, he knew that this girl slipped something nasty in his drink, but he drank it anyway because he didn't care. So <laughs> it's the kind of character that does stuff like that. But um, but we just placed two songs in that movie. And so, yeah, he has guests come on his show and do voiceovers as well. But definitely Cemetery Go-Go, if you listen to that show sometime, you'll be able to – there's sample episodes up on my site. You'll be able to see and hear some of the different characters that go on his show. Oh, uh, please mention where people can find out more about your your stuff, Dave, because I think they'd be fascinated after listening to this how much you do. 
Well, I've been fascinated and I've been oh, listening oh, to I it. Pre- I appreciate it. It's snuggybear.com, S N U G G Y B E A R.com. And there's links to everything on there. It's, you know, there's a link to my Facebook page and all the other shows. There's sample episodes on there. They can see my bio, some of the upcoming projects. I mean, pretty much everything is on the website. And don't forget, people, he's not a musician. He's a, mu- a magician. He's a musician. <laughs> I will get that right one day. But, hey, Babe didn't mind, because he, he he's that kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hopefully, you know, I haven't made anyone totally disappear from my live shows, so that Yeah, but if they, if they know, I think if people went to see your show, I would have think they would know you're that kind of comedian before they even went there. So I hope, I hope so, but sometimes when you're put on a bill with other types of comedians, then they might be more into that. One thing that's said about modern stand-up is everything is just about race and TNA. And it's not really about comedy. It's just seeing how nasty you can get. Do I like the old... Um, do, you, do, do you know Billy Connolly? You heard personally. Of, well, he's comedy. He, he's observational kind of... I know who he is. Yeah. I know who he is for sure. Yeah, I like the observational kind of comedy, you know. Like I would let Wendy in a lift and there was a, there was a smell in the lift. I wondered if it was... because there's so much to make fun of out there. You don't have to go on stage and the first thing you said is like, I, oh, I have this big-breasted transsexual or something. I go like, oh, good for you. (laughs) Mine would be something like, things are so bad in England, even the rain doesn't want to go land on on us. It wants to run away. (laughs) Yeah. Oh dear. And, and some people like that. So, yeah, it's, um, and I don't care what religion or race or anything that a person is, you know, human comedy is human comedy, and everybody in some way shares some sort of common denominator that way. Well, as uh, Monty Python once said, it's a shoe, it's a sign of God. That shoe belongs to God. But it's done his shoe. But he's a son of God. Exactly. Monty Python was another inspiration. um, When I was a rock journalist, when I was first starting out with Tiger Beat and rock magazines, um, I actually got to meet Graham Chapman and Terry Jones. Oh, cool.
It sounds the sort of thing. I think it's the sort of thing they would do. I'm sorry, what's that? I said it sounds the sort of thing he would do. I've been very. I know, I know. I know. Some people thought Felicity Kendall was a sex symbol, but maybe in the dark. But <laughs> I love Felicity Kendall. Anyway. Well, Dave, I think it's been very interesting talking to you. I really could talk for hours on end. I was going to do. I was going. I was going to do your bio, but it's so long. It would have been the whole podcast. It would have been the whole podcast. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say this man has such a long bio. Even God is still reading it upstairs. <laughs> You're going to hell for that one, are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, this has been a blast, my friend. It's been a blast. What is that like? God's a Jewish comedian. Well, I don't know. God, nobody really knows what God looks like. You know? Be really disappointed you went up there and went, sorry. You uh, little good little glasses, a suit and a tie going, sorry, did you have some sort of illusion that I was a bearded man? I never told you that, did I? <laughs> Do you think God looks like Mr. Bean? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> people get there, uh, sorry. Uh, they, sorry, God is out at the moment. Please wait. I imagine the devil, you'd be very shocked, you go to the other end, you go to the devil and he goes, yes, you have an appointment with me? Oh, we thought you was going to be more devilish. Well, that's just a, that's just the films. I'm not the big bread machine that you see. I'm just a bloke called Joe. <laughs> That would make. I think that would be funny sketches. The devil and therapy. Yeah, yeah, a bit like um. Oh, what's the program called? Oh, it's on the telly. I can't remember its name now. American or British? British, uh, American. Oh, you had the British actor in it, Tom somebody. Lucifer. Lucifer. I like I like I love Lucifer. It, near the end, he got what all all these programs do. They have to have a musical. They have to have a musical. I don't know why. It must be very much an American thing. They must have a musical episode. It is totally American thing. Buffy had one. Because they had one. 
I think Lord's probably had well, one. We have enough, right, we have enough, because if we have so many freaking talent shows here, like The Boys and, and things like that, it's like if you don't inject it, then you don't have any work for these singers. Yeah. Because like, they can't act, they can only sing. I don't, I don't mind musicals. I like a good musical, like anybody. But I think it's like suddenly in a, a program, you're going, "What the, what the hell's going on here? Have I took something and didn't realize I took it?" Oh yeah, I've seen the movie yeah. version. I like that version. It's very powerful, very very powerful. It's one of the, it's one of the best versions. Did you know that the the guy that played Peter in that movie became a porn star? No, I did not. <laughs> That's yeah. well, I know it now, but I didn't know that. I was going to say, if you're a great fan of Doctor Who, I've been doing, uh, reading the transcripts from the series of Doctor Who. So far, I'm on the uh, John Pertwee years. So I've done William Hartnell. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Who. I've been reading the transcripts of the series on my YouTube channel. Yeah, I've I, I read it. I read what have I read? I read the William Hartnell ones, all the Patrick Fulton ones. I'm on uh, John Pertwee at the moment. I'm doing the Day of the Daleks at the moment. So that's probably the, yeah. I I, I just like reading them. I don't do any voices or anything. I just do it straight, like an audio version book. So I think because I think I I wouldn't do the voices justice. Because Doctor Who, because he's been so many. I'd probably do that, yeah. The Daleks and the, the Munsters I might do. But the, the Doctor I don't bother. I don't bother doing the female voices because I think, well, it's a bit high to get the voices. Oh, I just, I love that all of the, I mean, I love when the Doctor's companions are always gorgeous women. Well, they've got to be gorgeous. Even go out with some, <laughs> go, 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 go out with some, uh, unbelievable sort of type yeah but I mean everyone from um, Elizabeth Sladen all the way up to Jenna Coleman I mean I thought they were all awesome and as I said I loved Doctor Who up until you know um, what's her face took over and I'm like uh, the 
where it happens, I'm afraid it happens. Well, my friend, I've enjoyed my our talk, and it's coming up to nearly an hour. I don't want to go any more because people might turn it off. <laughs> but please listen, oh, folks, because they, they, this man is very interesting and the most fascinating person I've come across. I hope we'll talk again Sunday because I could. I think we could come up with lots of different subjects. But for now, I'm going to say that. Well, I appreciate you for turning up, but even if you are a, not a magician, but I'm now going to make you disappear. 